This radio program is PG-13. Parents strongly caution some material may be inappropriate for children under the age of 13. Send me Jesus' mission was to comfort those who mourn, bind up the brokenhearted, proclaim liberty to captives, and open prison doors for those who are bound. For those who want more than status quo Christianity has to offer, Blazing Grace Radio begins now. And here is your host, Mike Janung. Hey, Mike Janung here, and welcome back to Blazing Grace Radio. Glad to have you along. And it's another beautiful day in the Valley of the Sun. And uh, before we introduce our guest, a couple announcements. I will be in Europe for the month of October. Uh, we have a conference in North Wales from Porn to Grace Conference. Uh, be, we have a trade show, a Christian trade show. We're going to have two booths, one for Blazing Grace on helping people with pornography and sex addiction, and another on the Rogue Christian and then uh, we'll be going from there on to Finland to meet our ministry partners. From there, we go to Italy. I'm leading a men's retreat. And then Germany for a ministry meeting with a ministry partner there. And so your prayers are appreciated because, you know, with COVID, each country has their own set of rules for getting across the border. And so we appreciate your prayers. And there's always a spiritual battle with this type of topic especially when you're talking about the sexual realm where so many people are under bondage. So appreciate your prayers and praying along with us. I leave October 2nd. We come back November 1st. So I want to introduce our guest. Carrie McAvoy is a psychologist, writer, and mother who specializes in narcissism and other mental health-related issues. Carrie is autistic and has three grown sons. She loves to swim and go snorkeling. Her memoir, Love You More, The Harrowing Story of My Marriage to a Sex Addict, will be coming up, coming out this November. So, Carrie, welcome to the show. Oh, thank you so much, Mike, for having me. And I'm I'm just honored to be here, to to hear the bravery of this ministry and what you're doing. It it just deeply touches me. Mm -hmm. Um, I've been bothered by the too much silence on the churches when we should be the one at the forefront leading this battle against sexual addiction and sexual sin. So thank you so much. Oh, amen. Preach it, sister. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. So, yeah, it's been a, a very uh, interesting journey in my life. I'm a clinical psychologist. I have over 20 years of uh, practice, private practice, in uh, 2015, my husband died of, uh, we were married 31 years, died of cancer. Um, yeah, he was 52 at the time, and my last son was leaving home for college, and my my life literally imploded, literally imploded. Closed my practice, my last son left the house, uh, my, my marriage was gone, and I was left in this devastated state. And it was really a hard place. The church wasn't quite for sure how to come alongside of me very well. Um, I wanted the life that I had had back, and uh, and I ended up making a disastrous second marriage. I ended up marrying a sex addict. I didn't know it at the time, 
But uh, it was a harrowing, abusive experience, which then I've gone on and wrote about. But it's given me an inside look into this dark world that although I think a lot of us, and this is the part that kind of puzzles me, kind of concerns me, we we insulate ourselves, particularly in the church, and we don't really re- recognize the degree that there is a predatory behavior uh, in the greater world at large, that, that, it's, that the world at large is quite dangerous, especially for women and children. And... Um, and, and we don't really prepare, we don't warn our, our, our congregants of the, the dangers, the threats to them, because it's trying to lure us all in. And we also don't warn or protect, teach ourselves how to protect ourselves against this people, these types of people. So I'm hoping this book will give an inside look by using of my story, the harrowing experience of my story, that it could, if it happened to a psychologist, it can happen to anybody. So that's what I've been attempting to do. Um, so what happened was, I, as I said, I had this practice, and I grew up in a Christian home. Um, but I, I ended up in a, a kind of—my home situation was, was uh, neglectful, and um, I ended up, for the first time in my life, feeling safe when I got into this marriage. And I didn't realize that I kind of left all my unaddressed my un, um, baggage behind. The, the brokenness that I had out of my own— uh, broken past was still there, and then when I was in this devastated state of grief, I ended up being a very easy victim for for a predator. And one of the things I don't we don't really talk about much is the threat on dating apps. That um, that there's a lot of predatory behavior there. It's a most of them are kind of more of a hookup site more than actually for dating. And I thought that I met the man of my dreams, and he presented the front that I wanted to see, and I didn't realize I had actually met a narcissistic so- uh, sociopath. Um, and I had been lured into a very dangerous relationship. And it wasn't until we actually got married, two months into the marriage, that I learned that he had this secret double life. Um, and he was is serial cheating, uh, many, many different relationships, that he was addicted to porn, um, that he had a very broken history of work history. It was... So all of this kind of came to light, and I'm already in this marriage. And then, and then again, you know, was he was he saying he was a Christian? Uh huh. Yeah. Oh, okay. Mm-hmm. He even sent me little Bible verses and would, would wake me up with devotional texts and ask me, you know, what I thought. And yeah, now we did get into a sexual relationship too fast, and that's one of the red flags: is they push intimacy really quickly. They'll push intimacy and in texting. Uh, they'll start to use pet names right away. Um, you know, they'll kind of love bomb you. This was a lot of attention and make you feel really special. I actually, I, I don't believe in the idea of soulmate, but I actually began to believe it that existed when I met this person. It was so attractive. And, uh, but I was conflicted. I knew that, I knew that our level of relationship was rushing, but I wanted to fill the hole that I had lost. I wanted to replace my husband in the life that I had. So I was kind of moving headlong into that direction and not realizing that, I didn't know him well, and, and realizing that that it, that the person he presented felt one to two dimensional, that it, there wasn't this cohesive depth to him. I didn't really kind of pay much attention to that. I liked what I saw; it seemed very attractive. But later, I found out that he was dating multiple people, and each person that met him thought they met somebody that fit their lifestyle. Like, for example, one of the women is in country music and pets. He hates country music, can't stand pets, but she wouldn't have known that. He presented that front to her. So, yeah, it, it wasn't until we got after our marriage that I ended up um, 
catching him, catching him texting. And then at the end of the honeymoon, it's actually on our delayed, delayed honeymoon, that one of the women contacted me and mm. sent me a letter telling me that he'd been in, involved with her. So that opened the can of worms. I did, you know, I was listening to your story, and um, we also sought help. We went and saw the top Christian organization in the United States for an intensive programming. And, um, and you know, one of the things that I, I'm concerned about, and I, I don't know how familiar you are with Omar Manuela's work out in L.A. area, Mm-hmm. Um, but it, it does a lot of focus on the the addict, but not a lot of focus on the partner. So here you've got, yes, we have this crisis with this person who's got an addiction that's out of control and destroying themselves and others. But we also have the partner who's been severely betrayed. Their whole life has been shattered. Their sense of reality has been shattered. And even maybe their sense of self has been shattered. And there's not, doesn't seem to be a lot of focus on that aspect of the, of the crisis. So when we went in, the focus is all on him, trying to kind of maintain the behaviors, set some boundaries, give us a few tools. They did warn me that I only knew the tip of the iceberg, but, you know, he's such an adept liar. I, I really thought I had a good grasp. I didn't realize that they were absolutely correct. But I didn't really get, they didn't set me up for group therapy. They didn't set me up for therapy myself, um, but they did for him. And then they kind of, we discharged out of the program. And, you know, and I also saw saw help with a CFAT as well, and she kind of did the same thing. It was a lot of focus on him and what he was needing and maybe trying to get his behaviors under control. But, but here I was left, I was left essentially feeling like I was dying. Mm. Um, I, I really felt hollowed out by it. I mean, every, everything that I'd known was a lie. I didn't even know this person. I realized I'd married a stranger. I didn't know, should I leave the marriage? What was the right thing to do? I didn't know. Did God want me to leave? Was it to stay? Here I've devoted my life to being helping people, and now I have someone in crisis. Do I walk out because the crisis was a traumatic to me? I, I, I didn't know. And, and well, you know, the other thing is really hard because I'm I'm on social media. I have a platform on TikTok as well as Instagram, so I get a lot of interaction with the secular world. And their perspective is: the minute something goes wrong, you're out of there. In fact, there's almost this this critical abrasiveness for anyone that would try, like you're being weak for staying. But yet within the church, there's the opposite pressure, is a dutiful wife should stay. Well, they have biblical examples of that. You think of Abigail sticking up for her husband, even though he's really an awful guy, and then, you know, getting rewarded for David, you know, God intervening. We see Hannah staying in a very hard marriage. We also see Leah staying in a hard marriage. So there's this, even and Paul talks about, a wife with an unsaved husband edifies him by staying in the marriage. So there's all this this information that as a good woman, you should stick with the situation. But at what point is it, at what point, what juncture should you leave? Is it, that was what I couldn't figure out. And especially since I devoted my life to trying to help people, I really felt like I owed something to this. And, and I still have feelings for him, of course. So it was tricky. So I ended up staying, but I ended up finding out that his recovery was a false recovery. And it really was, there was no authentic, it was just an effort, a playing effort at it. It wasn't really actually, it really wasn't a genuine. Now, I also know with an addiction, there's relapse and it's, it's hard to get into real recovery. It takes, I think a lot of addicts have to try multiple times before they get to a place where saying, 
this isn't going to work. I really have to do something different. So I understood that too, which made it even more complicated for me. So all of that to say, I stayed until year end when I started to go increasingly crazy. My behavior, my behavior became way out of control. And meanwhile, I'm in crisis with God because I'd grown up with this idea of Christians. God, I know this is wrong, but this is how what I kind of believed is that a good Christian should end up with a good life. So here, how did I end up doing all the right things, being a good wife, good mother, and now have a husband who's deceased, a life that's blown apart, my practice gone, and now I'm in a marriage with this destructive person. So does God love me? Did God see me? Where Where is the evidence of his help for me? Um, so I was really struggling, really struggling trying to find how to find footing in this, and and add the complexity to it, we moved to another country in the middle of all this. So Mm. I'm now not even in my own home, which even my hometown wouldn't have been a good fit and wouldn't have been helpful to me. They would have cared, but they wouldn't have had any good answers for this. So I'm not saying staying in the United States would have solved the problem. It it would just have been another complication. Um, So I ended up leaving the relationship one year in, and then he made a threat against me and was going to ends up with a financial threat. And um, and it just, I ended up finding this marriage was even worse and more deceptive than I thought. And I want to spoil the book, but it was, it, yeah, it was a very horrific discovery. And then I ended up going back another year in order to try to extricate myself in a more whole way. Um, and I made a decision I needed to leave, but I didn't see a good way out until I, and that was, that was when I began to really change my relationship with God. And I have to say, I'm still in a place of recovery with God. I don't know if that's how that sounds, but I realized that how I knew God before was was shallow and based on some false assumptions, kind of like God's a fairy godfather in some way. And now I want to learn who he, who he really is and have a relationship with him on a with me there as myself, honest, without shame, and come to see who he sees me as his child. And so I'm still working on that. It's been a long process. But that second year, I got to a place where, you know how Matthew talks to be a poverty of spirit? I've always wondered what that meant to be that that kind of state of helplessness. And I read Bonhoeffer's talk or book, um, um, I'm trying to think of the name. I'm this the famous one, The Cost of Discipleship. It talks about it being an utter state of poverty, like you know that without immediate help you're you're going to die. Mm. And I, I reached that psychological place with God and, and in real life with this person I realized that without God's intervention I was doomed. That I could not find my way out. There wasn't a way out. He was this person's going to destroy my life. And it was going to, God was going to have to save me. And that helped me to begin to realize what it means to really declare God as my husband, as my champion, my Lord, my Savior. And so I began to rely on God and really listen for his, his um, advice, for his, you know, and he sometimes would speak. I'd hear like, this is an opening. Okay, it's an opening. And then I'd watch for the opening. You know, so I began to kind of look for those types of things. And, and, you know, or I'd say, I need the truth, and I can't find it, and I'm snooping, and I'm feeling increasingly crazy. And I would say, but God, you know the truth. So show me the truth. Make it make it apparent in some way. And sure enough, there would be an, 
incredible opportunity and there would be this massive discovery of something I suspected I would learn was true. Um, so it was, it was an incredible journey out. I wish, I wished I could say the way I finally extricated myself in the relationship was out of a happy way. Um, but I even see God's orchestration in that, in that, um, I ended up getting a call when I was living in this other country that my oldest son was gravely ill and, um, near death. So we rushed back to the United States and I found out my son had acute myeloid leukemia mm. and he was, he was in ICU and he was nearly dying. And so I knew that I'd have to move here and he'd need help with his care. And was here. It was my second immediate family member with cancer. It was just, in fact, the day I found out he was had leukemia was the day that his father died. It was the same date. I mean, it was just horrific. But, um, and in the process of that, sure enough, I, I made a final discovery of the cheating was still going on and that there was still a lot of disruption happening. And at that point, I was able to say, I'm here, I'm going to be here, and, um, you know, we, we are not, we're done. And at that point, then my ex fled, fled the relationship and fled the marriage. So, it, yeah, it's been, I wish, I wish I didn't know what I know, but on the other hand, I'm thankful I know what I know. I don't know if that makes sense. Um, but what I've learned since then is that I wish this wasn't an unusual story. I'm I'm frightened. I think it's I think sexual addiction is uh, is an epidemic portion proportion. I think that the majority and of men and increasing number of women are held captive to it. I think the entree to it is pornography, and you learn to begin to hide your behavior around your your this activity. And it becomes e- easy to create this secret world in which you keep it separate from the rest of the world. And then it teaches you the art of deception. And then you just carry this into your relationships thinking that somehow that kind of, um, that kind of behavior or that kind of double lifeness is acceptable or that kind of duplicity is okay. And what also really disturbs me is that We've, I feel we have completely distorted the purpose and the intent of sex. That it, it is, this, I would love to hear your opinion on this. My opinion is that it is a gift from God as to be experienced as part of a relationship in order to enhance the intimacy in a relationship. It is not necessarily something that one does or has on one's own. But we have sort of perverted into as an appetite that everybody has, and however you happen to decide to meet that appetite is completely acceptable and doesn't need to be a part of or shared with your partner. I, that's what I'm kind of seeing in the general world. I would love to know what you think on that. Is that has been, that been your experience? Well, yeah, there's a chemical and an emotional and a spiritual component to sex. It's not just a physical act. So um, it's heart-to-heart union. <laughs> And what mm-hmm. a lot of people try to do is say, well, it's just a physical act. And no, it's not. There's there's a connection, and it's even wired into our in our brain. So, you know, there's a chemical oxytocin that um, yeah. that's, has to do with bonding. And then when you have sex, that shoots up. Well, when you masturbate, it doesn't. So right off the bat, uh, the way we're wired is that <laughs> um, masturbation malforms the brain. <laughs> Sex yeah. is only meant for communion with the man and wife. So, yes, I definitely right. agree there. Yeah, and then we end up, whatever we're using in order to masturbate, we're bonding with, essentially. It becomes our phone or, you know, the, the, the environment that we're in, maybe it's in the bathroom or wherever. 
Uh, and the other thing I'm seeing it is, is sex is being used as a distraction and, and also as a stress reliever, which then becomes a very... So we don't learn to soothe, our, soothe ourselves in more normal, helpful way. We end up using sex to soothe ourselves. Um, my ex would admitted to me, openly confessed to me, that he would, he would masturbate upwards to 10 times a day. So whenever something would go wrong in a, at work or at home or whatever, he would then go off and do that as a way to kind of you know, dissipate the tension, the stress, the upsetness. Well, but that's not the intent of it. The intent of it is intimacy, not sex re- or stress relief. That's other things should operate that, like talking or processing out loud or writing and journaling. I mean, we have all these other things that would work better, actually, yep. probably at it. So it's weird how we're doing that. And I write about this. I don't write as a Christian writer. I write as a secular writer. So I'm you know, I'm I'm on Medium.com, and I have a blog there where I write about sex addiction, relationships, dating, narcissism, all those types of issues. And the responses I get, the international responses, a lot of them, I get a lot of trolls. I get a lot of hate comments. I mean, because there's people strongly disagree with me. Well, and partly, I think, because they feel called out. They don't want to hear this. I think it's not comfortable truth. Um, but then when I, because I, I, I'm single now, and it would be great to meet somebody, I end up encountering, again, I see this with the men that I'm meeting, this sort of hypersexuality, but also this, this, um, it's just, it's rampant. I guess that's what I'm trying to say is it, it is just a rampant perception out there. And what it's sad to me, it feels like to me, this is, this is absolutely a ploy out of hell and it is destroying the family and is destroying God's gift of marriage. And it's destroying this amazing thing that we're supposed to enjoy within a context of marriage, and we're not. And how awful is that, to see this being ripped to shreds like this? Well, and part of the problem is that kids are getting smartphones as early as age five and six now. So um, yeah. we're not even—we're doing damage control. We're waiting to people in their 40s, 50s, 60s, 70s come to us. When their marriage is yeah. blown to bits, we're not we're not getting down to the youth. And then you look at all these numbers where the youth are walking away from church like crazy, which just tears oh, yeah. tears My your guts all out. Left. Yeah, exactly. And the other thing that was you're exactly right. And we're also not talking about the fact that they're setting a sexual template. So when you begin to get engaged, I mean, I think the average age I heard the introduction to porn is about eight, nine, ten, somewhere in there. So you're having a child introduced to concepts and perceptions. That's latency age. Normally in psychology, we'd say that's the quiet period where you should be focusing on study, acquisition of skills and knowledge. Oh, no, they've already been introduced to sex. Attention is sex. It's confusing. It's, it's probably put them in a flight or fight mode. It's probably like overstimulated the nervous system and, and been traumatizing at some level. And on top of it, they're now being formed a sexual template of what they're going to be. And, and then are we surprised that we're seeing it like an explosion of perversions, fetishes, and whatever else is going on? Um, it's, I'm just, I feel like, why is no one screaming that we're in trouble, that the, that the house is on fire? I just find that disturbing that we're not talking about this more. And then when you see ministries like Robbie Zacharias go up in flames, I'm just like, Hello? Is anybody here? Are we awake? What's going on? I agree, and we have a couple minutes left, and I think part of that is our Christian culture that we, what you see in Christian media, you see terms like positive and encouraging, and Mm -hmm. um, we don't want to mess up anyone's comfort bubbles, and we don't, we want everybody walking out on a pig 
pink cloud and and so this is a part of what we do on this station was we are screaming and so bringing you a fellow yeah. fellow screamer onto the show is part of what we do and but I agree and we have to reach our youth and and what you said about the wife basically getting swept under the carpet we yeah. see see the exact same thing all the time but it's not just I mean we hear of stories where women are told that you need to submit to your husband even though he's a yep. porn addict and just basically your yep. heart doesn't matter. Yeah, yeah, or you need you're not giving enough sex at home, that's the problem. You're not keeping him happy. It has nothing to do about her. Never did. Never did. So Carrie, yeah. no, th- I that's why I'm so thankful for your ministry. So thankful for it. So Carrie, 30 seconds wide open Tell our listeners well, which, what so, you want yeah, to. Please, I would love you. I, I, I gave Mike my link to my website. I'd like to learn more about me. I also now have a free uh, um, newsletter I'm sending out each week, a tip on how to deal with narcissism. Uh, I'd love to have you sign up for that. And then my book comes out in November called Love You More, The Harrowing Story of My Marriage to a Sex Addict. And thank you so much for this, Mike. I deeply appreciate it. Thank you for coming on, Carrie. And uh, thank you for joining us. And we'll see you next week. All right. And bye-bye, guys. Blazing Grace is a nonprofit international ministry for the sexually broken and the spouse. Please visit us at blazinggrace.org for information on Mike Janung's books, groups, counseling, or to have Mike speak at your organization. You can email us at email at blazinggrace.org or call our office in Chandler, Arizona at 719-888-5144. Again, Visit us at blazinggrace.org, email us at email at blazinggrace.org, or call the office at 719-888-5144.